The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Happy holidays from all your friends at Podcast One. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. This is Heather Dubrow from Heather Dubrow's World. Hey, it's Steve Ops from the Steve Ops Show. Hey, this is Rob Riggle. And Sarah Tiana from Riggle's Picks. This is Caitlin Bristow from Off the Vine. Hey, this is Kelty from The Lady Gang. Happy holidays from Podcast One. PFF Podcast is brought to you by True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. The luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with... Sam Monson getting ready to preview all of the week 17 action. How you doing, Sam? How was your Christmas holiday? Pretty good. You, Steve? It was great. Hmm. Had a little uh, quick trip back home to Boston. Yeah. It was enjoyable. Excellent. Had fun with the kids. You almost kept uh, kept up your Michael Buffer impression there in the intro. I oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, I was doing some... It was a little holdover left over. For, Steve, for some reason, was doing Michael Buffer impersonations before Ooh, we went on the air. Let's get ready to... No, I'm not. A lot like that, that yeah. And that was kind of how you, you rolled into the intro. I didn't mean to. I can't turn well, it off. I'm not complaining. I, mean, I think it was a nice touch. Thanks. Well, we're all just trying to get better here every day at a time. Um, we're well fed. We just... What? Every day at a time? Is One that, day at a time? Is that a sentence? One day at a time. Well fed. I just bought you lunch. Yeah. Why? Why did you buy me lunch? Because I'm assuming Brandon Graham is not going to get five sacks this yes. week. Of course, if he does, that means I owe you two lunches in order to redress the balance. Which That's is correct. awkward. That's correct. So, um... I uh, proactively went ahead, bought you lunch, assuming that I'm going to lose my Brandon Graham bet that he's going to get 10 sacks. Having this year already lost five. the Raiders bet. Yeah, but we got that back for some other off-camera. Right, I just want to make the yeah. point that you lost that bet. Yeah, that's well. fine. That's for anybody fine. listening, 
Steve is 0 and 2. But your net, bats your net plus one, so I bought you your lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if Brandon Graham has five sacks against the Redskins this weekend, I owe you two. Yeah. Correct. So that's what we're rooting for. I'm prepared to take that risk for the barbecue that we just had. Mm, it was pretty good. Um, we're, my podcast friends out there, though, we're rooting for Brandon Graham. Five sacks. Well, I'm not, not anymore. I mean, I wasn't anyway. I want two lunches. I'm definitely not now. Yeah, the barbecue is good, though. Let's get into it. Let's mm-hmm. get into week 17. We'll hit on the uh, big games, starting with, can you believe it? The Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. It's not a big game for the Browns, but the way they're playing right now, a whole lot of fun. Baker Mayfield playing well. Everything's kind of improving over there. Baltimore Ravens playing for a playoff spot. These teams played a few weeks back, and it was a 12-9 to overtime victory for the Browns. Yeah. It kind of is a big game for them, though, as well. They're, I mean, they don't have the playoffs to play for anymore, but they have a winning record to play well, for. Baker said they're playing for their identity or something like that. Well, yeah, but that's, you know, crap. They, oh. they have a winning record to play for. That's the important thing. That's true. This is the first winning record this team could have for years with a quarterback like Baker Mayfield actually leading the way. I think it's a pretty big game for them. You know, that's a, a legitimate thing to actually play for. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, it's going to be a good challenge. The Ravens are coming off a great defensive performance against the Los Angeles Chargers. And you've got the Browns. And as we, met, as we mentioned, Baker, the highest graded rookie, top 10 graded quarterback going up against this Ravens defense. That's pretty much the matchup to watch in this one, is it not? Yeah, definitely. Um, I saw Robert Klemko tweet some statistics earlier about the Ravens this season against quarterbacks with five or fewer years of experience. Basically, that. terrible yeah. stats. 58% completion, six yards per attempt, something like that. Blah, blah, blah. Like Baker Mayfield, in, in the first time they played, all right, they didn't score many points, but he passed for eight yards per attempt. Like, he was getting the job done against this Ravens defense, I think, better than a lot of younger quarterbacks have. And, you know, we've seen him throw some ill-advised passes and make some mistakes you know, against teams like Houston, for example. But by and large, you haven't seen a team like shut him down. Like They forced mistakes out of him, but the team hasn't really stifled him and completely... What was it the Chargers, pretty much? Chargers game, they didn't do a whole lot until garbage time. Right. Texans game, a little bit of that. Yeah, but the Texans game, I think, was more the big mistakes than an inability... An inability, inability yeah. to function, you know, as a passing quarterback. Yeah, we've talked about the Ravens quite a bit uh, over the last few weeks, so we don't want to we don't want to repeat everything. But they're running a different type of offense. We we've discussed Lamar at length the other day. If you guys want to go back and listen to it, that the Lamar analysis remains the same, right? Yeah. Throw for throw and accuracy, but make some nice downfield throws. They were trying to win with the running game and controlling the clock, and they've had some good success with it in recent weeks. But that success has certainly coincided with what the defense has done. They've started to rush the passer much better. And coming into the year, they did look like a very intriguing secondary, especially when healthy. You have Marlon Humphrey's emergence. You know, in, you know, when Jimmy Smith is out there, Tavon Young. I mean, they've got a lot of guys that can cover, plus Tony Jefferson and Eric Weddle back there. This, they're pretty good in the right, in the right spots. There. Also, Brandon Carr continues to make like really good plays every That's now right. and again. Like he, I was saying to you, during that Chargers game, he is a guy that looked like he was done about three years ago. Right. And just keeps on going. And if anything, is playing as well as he's done even at his best now. Like, makes, made, made a, uh, he's made a few incredible plays this season and remains a pretty good corner at times. Yeah, he does. And, uh, you know, he had a nice, uh, he had a pretty solid game against, against the Chargers. Uh, so the Ravens are tough to pass on. Um, 
we were breaking down the best defenses on the YouTube channel, uh, myself and, and Eric Eager, and he was talking about how good the Ravens are in early downs. So one of the things that they've come up with, a lot of times you point to third down success, and you're like, hey, the, this defense is great on third down. Um, but the old adage that first and second down kind of determines how easy third down is going to be yeah. really holds true because the more they run the numbers on that, the first and second down stuff is the most stable. You get more, you bigger sample size. And if you're good in those areas, you do have more third and longs. That's where the Ravens are excelling. So I think here's where the matchup is good. How, how was the Browns play calling earlier in the year with Todd Haley? Awful. Early down that, stuff, especially, yeah, right? That setting Baker Mayfield up with third and forever. Right. So this is Freddie Kitchens going up against this Ravens defense and getting some creative play calls, early play action, some cheap yards as much as you can on early downs is crucial against this Ravens defense because they do still have that creative third down package where blitzes are coming and they're fake blitzing and they're doing all these things from all different angles. As good as Baker has played, you still don't want to deal with that. So you do want to get into third, three, third and three, third and four type of situations. Other than yardage, total yardage, um, which really is just a product of volume at this point. Baker Mayfield's numbers look incredibly like Tom Brady's numbers. Ooh. Same completion percentage is within a, you know, a percentage point. Um, 7.5 versus 7.6 yards per attempt. 25 touchdowns to 24 touchdowns, both with 11 picks. Uh, pass rating 95.4 versus 95.1. Why are you just reading stats? Because they're very similar. And Tom Brady is your hero as the bastion of great quarterback play over the past however long. And Baker Mayfield's numbers look pretty much the same. I mean, Tom's 41. Yeah. So, you know, 41-year-old Brady is analogous to rookie Baker Mayfield. Good for Baker. Right. Good for Baker. Baker Mayfield's... That's like the whole, like, when Brady's 75, maybe Christian Hackenberg (laughs) in his prime is as good as him. That is one of the great unanswered questions in football is at what age does Tom Brady become a worse player, a worse quarterback than Christian Hackenberg? What age do their uh, talent levels intersect? But we decided there's no place where they intersect. Right, because... So then we had to start, start saying, when does prime Christian Hackenberg equal yes. Tom, At what age is right. Tom Brady equal to prime Christian Hackenberg? Yeah, because... And it's probably like 68 Right, to at, the point where, at the point where Tom Brady get worse than Hackenberg, Hackenberg would also be about 45. So, Can I, can I give you a Baker Mayfield stat? Yeah. 35 big-time throws. That is fifth in the NFL. You got Patrick Mahomes, number one, Ben Roethlisberger, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, then Baker Mayfield at 30, with 35, and he has fewer attempts than everybody on the list besides Russell Wilson. So Wilson has the highest percentage of big-time throws. So my favorite is that he's... W- big-time throw mug is right here, by the way. Yeah. Boom. He's got the second best rookie quarterback grade we've ever given anybody at the moment. He does. The only person with a higher grade right now is 2012 Russell Wilson. So as much as everybody not RG three, no, either RG three is third. Uh, but as much as everyone was losing their minds over that 2012 RG three season, we actually had Russell Wilson as the better graded quarterback that season. And you know, obviously RG 3s career has gone off the rails, but that was kind of borne out by the fact that Russell Wilson remained awesome yeah whereas rg3 didn't but the point is that's pretty impressive right it's russell wilson right now baker mayfield and then rg3 yeah it is impressive and this is why it's it's a fun matchup going up against that ravens defense um the browns defensively uh, another weird team early in the year that they've been you know kind of relying on turnovers um i think they do have a ton of defensive talent i can't 
I still can't figure out if Greg Williams is good for that defense or not. Um, Because, you know, it kind of fluctuates between conservative safety play and just, you know, crazy blitzes. Um, But they're going to have to do the whole, like, got to throw eight guys in the box to stop the run, right? And make Lamar beat you through the air. I'm curious to see what Greg Williams does defensively going up against Lamar. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big thing is that the Ravens, we've said this before, they present unique challenges to any kind of defense because they're going to show you stuff that you're not used to seeing. And if nothing else, you now have to figure out how you're accounting for the quarterback as part of the run game on pretty much every single snap. You can't just play that inside zone up the middle to Gus Edwards because Lamar Jackson's a threat to keep the ball at any time and you need to maintain gap integrity on the backside. You need to uh, maintain contain. You need to make sure that he he doesn't have a clear run to anything. And it is this interesting matchup with any defense, but particularly with a hyper-aggressive defense like greg williams that likes to blitz everything like it's not a problem you just need to make sure you're all keeping maintaining discipline while you're doing that like you can be aggressive and disciplined at the same time i think rex ryan's jets defenses in their heyday were always very good at that like he, he was right. he had some hyper aggressive defenses but they were always they very disciplined they didn't blitz a ton it was the 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 whole rex ryan tree you know, would be the whole, like, here's four dudes who could be blitzing from one side, and there's actually only one that's coming, and there's one coming from the other side. And it's um, that's where they've always been really, really good. It looks like there could be eight guys blitzing at a given time, and there's only four rushes, rushers, and figuring out where they're coming from. That's where they've always been uh, really, really good. I think uh, from a matchup standpoint, uh, Ronnie, St- you have Miles Garrett emerging as one of the best defensive ends, edge defenders in the entire league. Ronnie Stanley continues to develop at offensive tackle. I think that's one of those twice-a-year matchup that matchups that's going to be fun to watch as we move forward as well. Yeah, definitely, especially because Miles Garrett has that kind of brute power, brute force yep. um, to him, whereas if, if Ronnie Stanley struggles anywhere, it's with these more powerful but also you know quick defensive ends. Like I think he can handle speed pretty well, right. but guys that are just going to attack him physically are, are guys that tend to give him some problems. Should be a good one. Who thought? Who would have thought? Browns-Ravens, one of the most intriguing Week 17 matchups. You and I are both taking Baltimore. We're going with the, with the hot hand here? Yeah. I don't love it, though. Don't um, love it. I need three games to become the best PFF pick person. I've, I've had to go against Nate three times, yeah. right, to get those three games back. This was one of the games that I could have gone the other way and didn't. And now, the longer I think about it, the more I'm wishing I did. Well, but anyway, it's too late now. Yeah, it's in the podcast world now. So mm-hmm. everybody knows you picked the Ravens just like I did. Let's go to another key matchup when it comes to the playoffs. The Chicago Bears traveling to the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings win and they're in. Mm-hmm. If the Bears win and the Rams lose, the Bears have a shot. They can have that number two seed. So both teams are playing for something. We're a few weeks removed from... Uh, Bears victory in Chicago on Sunday Night Football. One of those classic, this is the Kirk Cousins game where he needs to step up and he didn't. Um, And now I just saw the number, if you're into QB wins situationally, 5-24 or on pace to be 5-24 if they lose this one against uh, winning teams in his career, Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Um, Say what you want about QB wins, but I think things things at the extreme ranges probably tell a bit of a story so i mean sometimes there's also a lot of crap in there of course there's always there's always other stuff in there but um 
This is why they paid $84 million guaranteed for Kirk Cousins. This is the week at home against the tough Bears defense. The Bears are also playing to play the Vikings again the week after, right? Yes. Like if they lose... Um, well, if the Bears are the number three seed, mm-hmm. um, let's, assume that, let's assume the Rams are going to win. Yeah. No matter what happens, the Bears are the three seed at that point. And but the Vikings... can change, right? The Vikings are going to be the, five, the six seed, almost certainly, because we're assuming Seattle wins as well. Yeah, but it's possible that their opponent can change from the Vikings to the Seahawks, correct? It could. That would, I believe it takes a Seahawks loss right. to the Cardinals, though. What's interesting, do you subscribe to the theory that it's very difficult to beat a team three times in a season? I mean, no more difficult than it is to beat them twice. Really? Because it would strike me as <laughs> demonstrably more difficult to beat them twice. Or to I, beat them three I just times think twice. each... So here's, here's what I'll say. We were, talking, we were talking with Eric about this in the office. Division games are harder to predict, essentially. So when you run at all the numbers and it's like, oh, the, the Bears are great and the Vikings are bad, you immediately just say, well, let's bring it, let's bring it a little bit closer because it's a division game and familiarity kind of gives the underdog a, a bit of an advantage, right? So if anything, yes. And I'm not saying the Bears are great. The Vikings are terrible. Just using it as an example. So... So, yeah, there's some, something to, like, the third time you face somebody, the underdog, in this case the Vikings, would tend to have more of an advantage. Are you getting at, like, the Bears should throw this because if – see, that's, like, No, I'm not saying mentality. they should throw it. I'm just saying that this it, – it makes that third game very interesting because, like, the first game was relatively evenly matched. The Bears win. This, this game, they still have something to play for, so they're probably going to go out there and, you know – try and win the game if let's say they win it in another close game that's two close division games in a row setting up a third rematch in the postseason that becomes a really fascinating game because there isn't that much between these two sides and yet one team would have won twice everybody's starting from a clean slate again not knowing kind of what they're breaking out in the postseason it would set that up pretty interestingly i think the home road thing matters a lot we both took minnesota i think in part because of that i took minnesota 100 percent because nathan didn't oh you did that specifically because nathan didn't because you need to win yeah so do you believe minnesota is going to win no really no and i'm expecting the eagles to beat the redskins are you saying the eagles are going to get into the playoff over the vikings yeah probably um khalil mack is going to destroy riley reef probably as he has done before akeem hicks is going to destroy the interior of the Minnesota Vikings offensive line the way he has before. The Vikings have now allowed over 200 pressures. Yeah, which isn't first anymore. It's now second to the Cardinals. Good for them. Um, But that's going to be a disaster. That's going to be up in that 45% pressure range. Kirk Cousins has finally started to come back down to earth after playing stupidly good under pressure over the first half of the season that over the past three weeks his passer rating under pressure has been under 50 um yeah so if that, you've been following us all year we've just been waiting for that to happen right the wheels are coming off the way they were supposed to ironically the vikings offensive line's actually been playing better of late and he's been playing worse under pressure but this is going to be one of those completely unmanageable games because of those two guys up front and i don't think the vikings defense has the horses to kind of keep pace in the reverse of a shootout so i think you continue to underrate the vikings defense so i did a, a video with eric it's on the youtube channel for the best defenses in the nfl and uh-huh. all year we've been saying there's no there's not great defenses the bears are the closest thing to it right to the to the best defense they, i think they're a clear number one number two 
will surprise some people. It's the Rams. After all that they've been through, on a per-play basis, they're good. And then number three is the Vikings. It's all in the NFC. Saints are number four. Um, Having said that, probably no Xavier Rhodes. Probably no Eric Kendricks. Those are two important coverage players to them. Their cornerbacks are going to be Mackenzie Alexander, Holton Hill, and Trey Waynes. That's yeah, Kendricks. Worried. Kendricks is a key just because he's got some athleticism, you know, to handle Tariq Cohen in space and some of the trickeration. Um, plus, you've got Mitchell Trubisky playing a little bit better the last few weeks. What four out of his last five games? Uh, yeah, his best four grades on the season, I think, have come in the last five games. Yeah, I mean, Detroit, Detroit and Tampa Bay were his two games where he was far above everyone else. But like I said a couple weeks ago, he's throwing the ball better against Green Bay. Last week, outside, he had the one disastrous interception, and that was our. Way of saying, look, guys, this is another terrible play that's not showing up in the stats. He had yeah, a negated, negated, yeah. negated interception, but he was pretty good throw for throw. Uh, converted some big for, uh, third downs and all that. Even though they only scored what fourteen points against the Forty ers he's throwing the ball a little bit better. And this is what we've said all year in our very, very unbiased analysis, Bears fans. We said if Trubisky just starts making a few more throws and dele- in, you know eliminating some of those negative, harsh, really bad negatives. Well, it, they become that much more dangerous on offense. The point about the Trubisky stuff was always that it's kind of a good thing because if he actually starts to play better on a throw-by-throw basis and starts to match his box score numbers at some point, that makes you better. Like yes. You should be embracing the fact that you're doing this well with a quarterback that is not playing as well as his box score numbers. Right. And we were trying to just say don't does, be fooled by the box score numbers. Right. They're if inflated. He, if he does bridge that gap, that is a hugely good thing for right. the offense. And he's kind of started to do that over the past few weeks. He has. So, look, I think this is another uh, very fun matchup. I, even with the injuries, the Vikings defense is tough. Um, the last time these two played, all we talked about was the Vikings blitz and how Trubisky's biggest struggles have been against the blitz. That's one of those things that I think every single year, the same way Matthew Stafford going up against the Vikings blitz every year is, you know, this tough matchup. I think this is another one for Trubisky. The Vikings didn't blitz him a ton the first time around. Maybe they should be a little more aggressive, try to force him into some bad mistakes. Yeah. Also, so as much as I was, you know, slamming the idea their cornerback is going to be Holton Hill, Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes. They're playing well. Alexander, in particular, has been playing really quite well recently. Um, and Holton Hill, for a rookie low, was he undrafted or a seventh rounder or something? Um, for a guy that basically was not a highly touted pick, albeit a highly talented one who had some off-field issues, mm-hmm. or even on-field issues that caused off-field issues, whatever. Um, he's been playing pretty well. Like, those are not terrible players. I'm just saying that none of them can live with Allen Robinson. No, that's fair. That's fair. But neither can Xavier Rose the way he's playing this season. Like his entire season has been either getting burnt to a crisp or pulling a hamstring or pulling a hamstring while getting burnt to a crisp. That was last Sunday. Yeah, that was not good. That was not good. Um, So I'm taking Minnesota because I do think they're going to pull one out at home. You're taking Minnesota because Nathan took the Bears. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the games I need to claw back. Great. All right, so that's that. Bears and the Vikings. And then the other really important matchup when it comes to playoff implications, there's a few others on the list, of course, but Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans, Sunday night football play-in game. I love a good Sunday night football play-in game. I love those. Remember the classic, what was it, uh, six and eight? What was the Seahawks record when they got in? Was it six and eight Rams versus six and eight Seahawks in twenty ten? Yeah, they won with seven and nine, right? They got they, in. They went and then they then they, then they beat the Saints. Yeah, at home because they got the Beastquake. Beastquake. 
Beast. Is that what that's it was, what it was the called? Quake. It was the it was the run. Yeah, which they called Beast Mode. Wasn't it run. Beast Quake? They called it because yeah, something it like caused that. like an actual measurable measurable <laughs> movement on the Richter scale. Not because of him, because of the crowd. Well, yeah. I wasn't suggesting he did it. That would be impressive. So that was 2010, the classic 7-9 uh, and nine Seahawks getting into the playoffs and almost starting their uh, dynasty, even. Dynasty. Nice. In real English. Um, Colts at the Titans. The winner gets an AFC wildcard spot, the number six seed. What are you looking for in this one, Sam? Do you still love it if the Tennessee Titans are reduced to playing Blaine Gabbard? I don't love it as much if Blaine Gabbard has to play. Hmm. Um, yeah. We're unaware exactly of who's starting a quarterback for the Titans. But as of recording time, Titans expert over in the other room, Cole Brown, assures us that Marcus Mariota will toughen up and tighten up and play. Yeah, I don't know that he has 100% record on these predictions over the season. No, he's really not good at predicting Titans things. He kind of thinks with his heart. A yeah, little like I think at one point he couldn't feel his arm or something, and Cole assured us he would play and then didn't. Uh, yeah. At the moment, it sounded like he couldn't feel anything on the right-hand side of his body, which feels like a problem for a quarterback. Especially a righty. Yes. Well, I love that. That was your, your reaction to that earlier, which I love because it, the implication was that if he was a left-handed quarterback, it wouldn't be an issue well, that he could couldn't feel through, anything on the right side that. of his body. You play through that. I, I mean, I, I've never tried to play anything, really, without being able to feel one side of my body, but it feels like it you would should, be a problem, whatever it. whatever it is. You should really try it. Yeah. Uh, some other some things to watch in this one. Um, so obviously the the quarterback situation. You and I did our sky preview on this one, and it was we focused very much. So how is this anything other than a tight, than a, a Colts win? If Mariota plays, yes. Okay, so the Titans are one of those defenses, right? No, Jarrell Casey. I understand, but they're still one of those defenses where they you know they blitz and they mix things up and they you know and they just kind of sometimes you just hit the right note. <laughs> when it comes to the matchup, right? So luck is the answer. No, but... No, but by luck, that, luck as in Andrew Luck rather than Andrew. No, Andrew Luck in this passing game, they have not been the same on the road as they have been at home in the, in the Dome, okay? Uh-huh. And the Titans have caused some problems for some pretty good passing offenses at times this year. And that's yeah. what it is. You're banking on the defense kind of keeping you close. Mariota has six deep passes that are dropped. Maybe one of those gets caught this time. That leads the league, by the way. Six deep passes dropped. So he has to play. He has to play pretty well. Or, I was checking out some Corey Davis numbers this week. Oh, God. He is so much more efficient in the slot. So here it is. <laughs> if the Titans make future Hall of Famer Corey Davis. Is there a Hall of Fame? Is there a receiver in the Hall of Fame right now who is. Jerry Rice was a glorified slot primarily receiver. Primarily a slot receiver? That's what he was. Doesn't matter. I didn't say he was going to go to the Hall of Fame. I just said he's going to get 1,000 receptions, be a top, said future top Hall of Famer. Yeah, he doesn't have to be in the slot the entire time. But like Michael Thomas, <laughs> you, you, you move him in as this, you know, your, your number one guy moved into the slot to create matchups. Got to do that a lot more with Corey Davis. Then he's an eight to ten catch a, a game guy. Right. Realistically, though, um, the Titans need a lot of things to go well. You also need probably beast mode Derrick Henry again. You do. Uh, really, what you need is for Andrew Luck to set fire to the house again and then just set fire to it too much to put it out by the end of the fourth quarter like that's what he's that's what Andrew that's Luck thing, does right? best right is he is fantastic at setting fire to the house and then getting praise for putting it out at the end of the game right as opposed to regular people who don't set fire to the house in the first place and therefore don't get the praise for putting it out overall but, luck's been really but good ultimately don't have a burned out house either I'm just checking out how many catches 
for his career, Corey Davis has. Oh. Because he has fewer receptions for his career than Christian McCaffrey has this season. Christian McCaffrey's a running back. So what? And has like a if lot you lined Corey Davis up in the backfield and threw him a bunch of screens and checkdowns. Yeah, season. exactly. <laughs> That's scheme, man. That's all scheme. Um, don't worry about Corey. Don't you worry one bit. Um, Andrew Luck, some of the numbers we were uh, rattling off for our sky hit. Spoiler alert, if you guys are in the British Isles, going to watch us on Sunday. They do that, right? Uh, yeah, they do. Assuming they put us on. We haven't actually checked for a while. We're on. We're on every single week previewing games. Um, so, snap to throw this year. Andrew Luck, 2.5 seconds. That's three-tenths of a second quicker than his average in his career. It's usually at about 2.8. That's massive in NFL terms. Highest percentage of clean pockets in his career by almost 10%. And this year, he's got the third highest percentage of accurate passes from a clean pocket behind Drew Brees and Tom Brady. The regressed Tom Brady still can throw accurately. The regressed Tom Brady. From a clean pocket. Drew uh, Lux number three in just accurate passes. That's actual ball location on passes. And he has the number two PFF grade from a clean pocket, both in 2016 and this year, his last two full seasons. Um, So just getting him 10% more clean pockets has been huge this year for Luck. So he's playing really well. But T.Y. Hilton, passer rating of 112.7, when targeted at home, only 70 on the road. You know, just get this little road. It's going to be cool. No for no nice dome in Tennessee. You know, we just could tighten the game up a little bit. Tighten yeah. up. Yeah, I'm just I'm struggling to see how the Colts lose this game, particularly if Blaine Gabbard has to play quarterback. I'm trying to hype it up. So let's, let's, let's find something else. You Tennessee's yeah. blitz package. <laughs> 46% of their pressures come from blitzes. That's fourth highest in the NFL. Jayon Brown, linebacker, second-year linebacker, number one pass rush grade among linebackers, tied for sixth with 18 pressures. I know the Colts O line has been fantastic. Yeah, nobody in the PFF picks has picked the Titans. We're trying to preview the game here, Sam. We're previewing it. Add something to it. You are trying to preview it by suggesting it's going to be a close encounter. I am trying to preview it by suggesting it's going to be a one-sided ass-whooping. No, I don't think so. And then you got the Derrick Henry versus Darius Leonard matchup. Mm-hmm. Darius Leonard, our number eight linebacker, a little bit lower than you know fans would like because of all of his gaudy stats, seven sacks and four forced fumbles. But he's been very good. He's been very good. Hasn't been as good as Leighton Van Der Esch on a snap for snap basis, but he's been very good. Wow, you just dropped that in casually like it was nothing. Yeah, I did. Well, because people are asking. People want to ask. Colts fans are getting mad lately. Why does Quentin Nelson only your number three guy? He's our number three guard. I mean, come on. Only our number three guard? People are actually asking that? Well, the that? grade's lower than they want is the, is the issue. He's still playing extremely well. Um, Derek Henry's averaging 6.1 yards after contact per attempt over the last few weeks. That's insane. Yeah. Skewed a little bit by the 99-yarder, but that's still a insane. A little bit. Quite a lot. So I've just given you a whole lot of things to watch for the game. Do you have anything that you want to add? No. No, you've done, you've done an admirable job of <laughs> selecting a bunch of things, a bunch of reasons to watch this game. That will inevitably go the way of the Indianapolis Colts. Great. Good job. Well done. Great. I can get anybody into your chair to do, to do this job, analyzing try. the game. You try. You're easily replaceable. We did it with Renner a few weeks ago. Yeah, you did. So you're gonna I mean, I'm just saying Renner picked the Colts as well, as did you. Yeah, I picked the Colts. Like, yeah. the Colts are going to win. Mm-hmm. But That's the beauty the of the PFF podcast... Sometimes we're going to tell you why and some other things about it. Uh-huh. Well, they're going to win because you have a better quarterback, better receivers, a better offensive line, 
a defense is playing at least as well as Tennessee's. There's no way, there's no area in which the Tennessee Titans are superior to the Indianapolis Colts. Therefore, they will win the game. All right, Colts are going to win. There you go. That's your uh, Sunday Night Football preview. Well, at least you're in rapid-fire mode, so let's get to the rest of the games in rapid-fire mode. Just stay in the same mentality. Got it. The better team's going to win every game. Jaguars at the Texans, the other AFC South matchup. Texans need a loss from the Patriots, and if they win, they get to move up back to that number two seed, and they buy. Well, the Jags benched Cody Kessler for the worst idiot for the idiot-proof offense. Therefore, they lose. Next. Nothing else? We're not going to... You said rapid fire. You said stay in that mode, rapid fire. I went rapid fire. You want more? Give me one more thing. What's, give me the, what's, what's Deshaun Watson? What's the record he's going for this year? Since we talk about this all the time. Scrambles. The scramble oh, the record. scramble record? So the most scrambles okay. that we've seen since doing this in 2006, the most times a quarterback has dropped back to pass and taken off to run. Michael Vick, 2010, 60 times. This year, Deshaun Watson's at 59, so he'll almost certainly pass that. Um, he also has five touchdowns when scrambling outside the pocket to throw. So just watching Watson play, there's something to that outside-the-pocket style that he is employing this year. Yeah, he doesn't, though, have the highest uh, scramble rate of any quarterback this season. That is, Which takes us to the next game, the Miami Dolphins nice. at the Buffalo Bills. Who has the highest scrambling percentage it's josh allen steve the oh, wow. quarterback of the buffalo bills well done coincidentally that's what happens when we just yell stats at each other yeah. all day at the office and we know where we're going to go with things it's great. so josh josh allen has the highest scramble rate of any quarterback this season he's one of two quarterbacks deshaun watson being the other one whose scramble rate is above 10 percent. So this is the percentage of dropbacks where they take off and run past the line of scrimmage. So we're right. not just talking about running around in the backfield a lot and ultimately delivering a pass because I haven't actually looked at that, but I suspect uh, Watson and Russell Wilson in particular would be even higher on that oh, because yeah. there's a lot of Absolutely. passes that they do that on. So I was curious what happens if you apply, if you look at just pressured numbers, right? Just dropbacks in which they were actually pressured, what percentage of those plays um, do they take off and scramble? And I looked at it for uh, PFF career as well, essentially. So Brett Favre basically has the lowest. Uh, we only obviously caught the back end of Brett Favre's career where he was less mobile than he was earlier. But Brett Favre, Kurt Warner, Peyton Manning, those kind of guys, your typical pocket passers right. are at the bottom end of this, all with a scramble rate while pressured of under 1%. Um, Josh Allen was top with a scramble rate of 18%. So basically Crazy. one out of every five pressure dropbacks he's running for his life for a, for a for yardage. Number two on that list, Tim Tebow. Ooh. 17%. And those are the only two guys above 15. The next guy is Colin Kaepernick, Michael Vick, and Vince Young. Yeah, I mean, in, in all of our pre... I think we nailed a bunch of our pre-draft quarterback analysis as far as skill sets and how it's all you know showing up on, on the field so far this year. The one thing we may have missed is Josh Allen bailing on pockets as frequently as he does i don't think we missed that i don't think we saw the scramble the yardage part of it coming like we knew that he was constantly running around back yeah i guess that's a fair point or just how effective he would be running the ball, right yeah there was definitely a point i remember in our preseason draft guide before last season where you know zach and i were looking and we came up with the notes together and we basically said 
more he's actually more comfortable Josh Allen making plays outside the pocket right. than inside. And, and there's a few quarterbacks that are like that, but you could he was at an extreme level of it, trying to get outside the pocket to make plays. So that's something to watch out for. And then this week I tweeted out, um, and I didn't get much pushback from Dolphins fans. Usually when you say anything that comes across as negative about your team's quarterback, you know, I think I they're over it, right? Trubisky, yeah. Stafford. You just get pushback from fans. But I tweeted out that Ryan Tannehill now has the lowest PFF grade, yet he's number 11 in passer rating. And nobody came to his defense. They were like, yeah, I get it. He's definitely not playing as well as the stats show. Interestingly enough, again, QBR, who tries, you know, they do things a little differently and try to use context and not give you as much credit for yards after the catch, that type of thing. They have 31 out of 32 starting quarterbacks as well. I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback play as differently than his stats so I think, or have a bigger difference in how he's played in the pure passer rating output yeah it's interesting we in the past have graded Tannehill I think a lot better than his, either his stats or the conventional um, barometer of how well he's playing right and this year it swung all the way back in the opposite direction like, like a lot really of really far his, his, certainly his passer rating is good and a lot of people think he's playing okay and he is grading terribly outside of a couple of good games. Um, so obviously, you know, he's dealt with some injuries this year and again, that Miami offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL. So there are mitigating circumstances there, but you, you're reaching this point where you have to ask yourself, what is, what, well, one, what is Ryan Tannehill's baseline? You know, in a given season, if we surround him with a half-decent offensive line and, you know, quality play, uh, play calling, coaching, etc. And B, what is the ceiling? Like, how good is good Ryan Tanhill if all those things are optimized? I've, I don't think the Dolphins know the answer to either of those questions, which probably puts them in the quarterback market. What's it, year seven? People are still waiting for the big Tannehill breakout. It, it's happening statistically, but not really. Right. Um, also getting sacked at a ridiculously high rate when it comes to pressure. And only um, one of those we charge to him. Right. So it's like things are happening. Um, Tannehill, where are the stats? How many touchdowns? Is, click on his touchdown total because he's got four touchdowns on screens. That's a big part of the discrepancy. Um, even though he's missed time, he's tied for fourth. Or he's fourth in the NFL in touchdowns on screens with four. Pass a rating of 128.6 on screens. That's best in the NFL. Um, and he missed time, remember. And he has the, the Miami Miracle touchdown that apparently went to his stats. Out of how many? And that's five touchdowns out of how many? 17. Out of 17. So he's got 12, call them more real touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I don't, I don't think we need to explain anything further. He had that um, pick six the other day that was just brutal, under pressure. Um, he has not played well. And I definitely think the Dolphins are they're looking to move on in the future yeah i mean i think you have to be at this point because uh, because of those two unanswered questions uh, I, from before i also think the way buffalo's past defense is playing i'm taking buffalo because their past defense has been excellent uh, miami has generally not fared all that well uh, traveling north late in the season up to buffalo so uh, i'm taking i'm taking the bills in this one yep same cool uh the other afc east matchup new york jets at the patriots the patriots uh, win. They're Ooh. trying to win for the bye, number two seed. Ooh, so I didn't go the other way on this, but I forgot about the ginger theory when I was making this pick. It's not that strong, right? Isn't it, though? It's not that strong. I mean, it's been pretty strong. Sam Darnold is our highest-graded quarterback over the last three weeks or four weeks? Four or five, I think. Okay. Go, going back. Oh, the highest-graded? Yeah, it could be just three. But he's, he's... But the ginger theory's been in effect the last two weeks, and he's been just awesome. Yeah. 
And it took the officials going crazy to take the game away from them last week. Yeah, the officials going crazy and Aaron Rodgers. So that's what you said this week. You're like, the ginger theory is strong, but it's not strong enough that you can't win, you lose while right. you have all the ginger power. Yes, but the officials, are, I mean, the, the Patriots are unlikely to have the same kind of official help that the Packers had last week. And, you know, no. Brady hasn't been that good. So maybe you should change it. I did say, I think on draft night, or, you know, or after the draft, I said Sam Darnold, because I think he's, he has that fourth quarter magic in him. I could see there's a point in his career this year, next year, there's a point in the next two or three years where he has this like huge fourth quarter comeback against the Patriots and it just feels like this moment in his career, like, oh, he be, you know, led, led the Jets to a, a victory over the, New, uh, the, over the Patriots and all that stuff. I'm not saying it's this week, but the way he's playing, it could be. Absolutely. So, it should be a fun one. When the ginger theory is in effect. We're all still taking the Patriots. And again, if they win... You know, they're playing this like a playoff game because if they win, they get a bye. And uh, old Tom needs a, needs a week off. <laughs> How significant is, I don't want to use the word decline because that's gotten me into trouble in the past. How significant is this decrease in overall performance we've seen from Tom Brady this year versus previous seasons? Um, I'd say, I think if you look at it objectively, you could say that he, ha- he is now playing. If you take his whole season... He's now playing at like a 2014-ish type of level, which there was a point he started slow in 2014, mm-hmm. and then after that, it was hit. since since that Kansas City Chiefs game in 2014, mm-hmm. the only debate for top quarterback has been him and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and then he actually dwarfed Aaron Rodgers during that time at some point. But in, there was a point in 2014 where it was just Brady and Rodgers. But I think if you take 2014 as a whole, Brady's top five, top six-ish, whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, he's so in that boat right now. The That's thing where he is, is, he's playing better now than he was the first time people were writing him off. But the fall from where he was has been way more steep. Maybe, but, but 2010, his 2010 through 12 seasons were really fantastic. They were, but they weren't 2015 through 17. Fantastic. 15 through 17, he has been hands down the best quarterback right. in the NFL. Like there hasn't even been a yeah. discussion. So the drop from that to what we're seeing now, I think is a steeper one than the drop. Right. It wa- than the drop that prompted the 2014 articles of Tom Brady's done, time to move on. If you look at it from a statistical point of view, and I said this in the office earlier today as well, if you just looked at his pressure numbers, if you just looked at the things that do fluctuate, pressure's way down, passer rating of about 70. Last two years, he has been bucking that trend like crazy. He's mm-hmm. been playing incredible under pressure, tough to sustain. So that's way down. I talked about his clean pocket accuracy. It's, it's still up there. Right, but it's yeah. these other situations. If you take his accuracy on second read throws, it's terrible. And those years where he was struggling a little bit on, um, he was he would struggle at times late in the down. He's back to that as well. He he mitigated that for a few years where he would extend plays and feel comfortable out of structure. I've heard I've actually talked to Trent Dilfer about this a little bit. He's uh, you know we talked about what's the problem. He said this is it. He doesn't trust guys late in the down. So a lot of the things that were issues in 2013 and 14 are kind of popping back up again because he's essentially been spectacular across the board in all areas over the last three years. Right. And that offense has always looked better when he has at least two guys he can count on. Now you're back to Edelman and that's pretty much it. So that's an, so that's another issue as well. Uh, No matter how good you are as a quarterback to put up production numbers, you need help to put up stats. You need help. There's a reason why Brady's still like number six in our grading in like 19th and passer rating or whatever. You, know, you don't have the same Gronk, not even close. 
Edelman's been good, not great. You no longer have Josh Gordon. And Brady also played four, a few games without Gronk and a few games, four games Bad without Edelman, Edelman yeah. right? Um, so they've rarely had this full cast of characters of guys getting open. Chris Hogan has been inconsistent as well. He can't really separate a ton. Brady's not looking for him. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. But I think if you look at it from a big point of view, a little bit of a, de- a bigger decline, you think? I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a steeper decline than it was the first time people were having this conversation. But he's, he's actually playing better now than he was the first time. Right? Yes, the he's first definitely time playing better than he played up. in 2013. But I think it's coming from a higher decline. Right. And when people look at declined, like we saw Peyton Manning straight lose his arm. Right. I feel like we've seen Eli Manning, Eli Manning, sorry, lose his arm. I feel like we've seen times where Drew Brees and uh, Matt Ryan don't look like the ball's coming out of their hand great. I haven't seen that from Brady. I think where you lose it a little bit is the off-platform stuff, that terrible yeah. interception he had against the Steelers where I think he was just trying to throw the ball out of bounds. Maybe he didn't have as much zip getting out of there, but we're also a couple weeks removed. He threw an absolute laser to Cordero Patterson for a touchdown. Like You still see the zip and everything when he needs it, so I don't think it's a physical decline, which is weird, right? It should be physical, if anything. I'm seeing just not seeing but things the, clearly. So the physical decline thing doesn't always manifest itself in arm strength. Like Brett Favre could go out there now and still throw yeah, that's 95 true. mile an hour fastball. That's true. Like his what with the physical thing, the way it manifests itself with Brett Favre is he went from being essentially unbreakable to okay now when you hit me everything is snapping in half and I can't keep going. Like it just it went almost overnight. It went from you cannot break Brett Favre no matter what right. you do to him to suddenly everything is just disintegrated around me and I can't keep going. Right. Um, but he like the arm strength was always there. He yeah, could have kept true. going for years with that. Now maybe the same thing as with Brady. There's this thing with is it a knee injury or was he just adjusting his knee brace? Well, he's been on the randomly right after a play. Yeah. Whilst hitting the ground doing it. Like, the thing with Brady at the moment, though, is that if it wasn't for the fact that he's 41, it wouldn't even really be notable. It would be okay. He's playing worse than he did the last three years. But those three years were incredible. It was going to come down at some point. Oh, yeah. He was, that was inevitable. Right. For sure. So you wouldn't even be looking at it saying, but now you're, but he's 41. So you're like, well, at some point, he, I mean, he kind of has to, right? Everybody does. Yep. It just happens. Whether it's Peyton Manning, whether it's Brett Favre, whether, you know, everybody at some point reaches a stage where they can't keep going anymore. And Brady's way past that point for normal quarterbacks. You're like, well, I mean, is it just regression or are we starting to see the beginning of the end? The funny thing about it is I do think you could look to his actual footwork and say something's different, right? He's, I talked about the second read stuff. If you just look at his footwork on second reads, it's not as smooth. His footwork under pressure where, you know, it's a few plays where he'll stand in there, other plays he won't. His red zone stuff has been eerily terrible. Yeah. Um, he's been so good in the red zone in the past. Hasn't been as good there. Those also feel like things that could be fixed as well. So that's why I think I would, you know, proceed with caution before writing him off. I also think looking forward, New England has to throw a whole bunch at finding good playmakers for him and just try to make, you know, the last run as as easy as possible. Right. But they're also back to the situation of how do you plan for the future? We'll we'll spend the whole offseason talking about that. I mean, they got to draft somebody. Yeah. You're either going to draft somebody or you're going to say, you know what, Teddy Bridgewater, we're going to give you a a four year deal and and you're going to be our guy. You know, so that's I think that's what they're looking at. Um, But something to, to think about. You just went off the rails talking about Brady, but I like it. That's good. It's a good little discussion. I think we're going to split that into a separate 
YouTube video as well. So you guys can check out the YouTube video. Sam predicts Tom Brady's decline part two. Right? No. Sam Monson, steeper decline than 2013. (laughs) Oh, that's a great headline. Didn't do that. That is such a great clickbait headline, Sam. No, 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 no. Sam Monson, who already predicted... Who already wrongly predicted Tom Brady's decline says this is steeper than it was. I didn't predict the decline. I outlined the decline that was already happening, which he then reversed right after I wrote the article. (sighs) Patriots fans, thank you Mm. for what you did. All right, let's fly through the rest for real. Uh, NFC East champion Dallas Cowboys going up against the New York Giants. The Cowboys are locked into the four seed. They claim that they're going to play their real players. They probably shouldn't. They're real players. Yes. Uh, Cowboys at Giants. What are we looking at here? Uh, I took so, the Giants because I don't think the Cowboys are going to play the whole game. You don't think they're going to play? Yeah. I took the Giants because... No, you didn't. No, I didn't. I took Dallas. Oh, I took Dallas because to be Nathan different. took the Giants. Yeah. To be different. Yeah. So this is another one of those. Um, here's your nugget. The Dallas Cowboys defense, Eric has them ranked at number eight in the NFL, which is in that range of, hey, you can have those nice games against the Saints. But you can also give up 20-plus to the Colts. The Cowboys are still ranked pretty low in PFS power rankings, um, which are all driven off the play-by-play data and the quantifying how good everybody actually is on, a, on an individual level. And it's largely because of Dak. It is. Like, there are a bunch of... T- their defense, as he said, is really good. They've got some players, but they've got Dak. Yeah. And he's not playing very well. And, you know, for example, the Philadelphia Eagles are ranked ahead of the Cowboys by five spots in the power rankings. They have Nick Foles as a quarterback. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of level we're at with Dak at the moment. Interesting. Yeah, there's something to be concerned about there. His fumbles, the sacks that he's taken, there are definitely uh, some concerns there. And So if you guys have PFF Elite, what I do suggest is you go check out the quarterback grading page. I actually really like that we pulled out this fumble grade this year because sometimes when we say the stats don't match the grade, a lot of it comes through in fumbles, which never show up in the stats. So if you see a guy that has a, a very poor fumble grade, you might, you'll just assume that there's, there's a bunch of harsh negatives in there. And as I scramble to get to the page right now and see where Dak ranks with his fumble grade, mm-hmm. uh, where did he worry, go? You're doing it really well. 27. 27.7 fumble grade. Yeah, so he's got a 94-plus passer rating, but the third-worst fumble grade behind Cody Kessler and Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Fumble grade. That's why Lamar's numbers... In production, don't match his grade either. But that's something to keep an eye on for Dak. Um, Foles actually right behind him and fumble grade as well. <laughs> How about that? Um, so I'm taking the Giants, and you're taking Dallas just because Nate took the Giants. Yeah. Uh, Falcons at the Tampa Bay Bucks. You said, Steve, is this the week mm. that Jameis Winston? I'm giving Jameis one last shot, right? You keep going on about this idea that Jameis and his high volatility and his big time throw percentage. He's like twenty four. You're going to give him one last shot and his, his high year positive, high positive twenty four season uh, grade percentage and all this kind of stuff. Number one positive grade percentage, right? You, I'm, you've been saying for basically the entirety of this man's football career that at some point he's going to put it all together and we're going to get this amazing Jameis Winston and we're going to get a 2015 Cam Newton esque MVP caliber season from him. And all will be well. And I've been telling you almost as long that it's never going to happen because this is just him. I am giving him one final shot because, again, Nathan has chosen Atlanta. So I've given him one shot. Week 17 against a relatively average Falcons team at home. Jameis Winston just needs to show up once and get me my win. And if he doesn't do it, if he doesn't, if it's the same old Jameis, 
then I'm not. It's done. No more. There will but, be no more. Yes, he can have it this season. No, no more. It's never going to happen. So one shot and done. Fair. You also have Matt Ryan playing outdoors. Well, yeah, but in Tampa. It's not like he needs Tam- to travel. They're playing, but he could have torrential rain. It's not like he has to travel to Pennsylvania. That's true. Pennsylvania is really tough. Uh, last week, it's his best outdoor grade for a game grade uh, at Washington, 75.8. How about this? He's got his, I'm going to count the number of games he played in the Dome for his best, his best graded games. Ready? One, two. This is good radio. Three, yeah, four, five, six, seven games. His seven best games came in the Dome. Takes seven games until you get to his best outdoor game. He's another guy that's got a reasonable disparity between passer rating and PFF grade. He's fourth in passer rating at the moment and 11th in PFF grade. Yeah, and he's, it's literally every other year. 2015, we said better than the grades, uh, better than the stats are showing. 16 MVP season, not as good as the grades, not as good as the stats are showing. Last year, hey, he's having a lot of bad interception luck. He's better than the, grade, than the stats are showing. And this year, not as good as the stats are showing. One year, it'll all match up for us. Matt Ryan's still very good, but not as good as the stats are showing. At least he has not season. a butt interception this year. The butt pick. He's had, uh, oh, I tweeted out last week something like 14 turnover-worthy plays this year. Last year, he had like six. But the interception totals are, this year, he's got six picks. Last year, he had 14. Yeah. It's almost like a straight switcheroo in Matt Ryan. Um, did I take Atlanta still? Yep. Ooh. Yeah, you did. Can I switch that to Tampa Bay? I just talked myself into it. Nope. Detroit Lions at the Green Bay Packers. What are we playing for here besides pride? Detroit Lion pride. That's pretty much it, right? Um, Aaron Rodgers is playing because, you know, it would be disrespectful to everybody else who's playing Week 17 if he didn't go out there and give it a shot. That's good. I'd rather see him than Deshaun Kaiser play. Well, I think that's the real reason he's playing, right? You know. I think, frankly, it's, I think he's doing Kaiser that. a favor. Maybe he's buddies with Kaiser. He's like, look, the less you see the field... The better for all of us. The more people think you have potential. It's, it's a win for everybody if you don't get out there and <laughs> throw the football. We just don't want you to not have a job next year. Yeah. So Rodgers will play, uh, therefore the better quarterback. The, you know, the Lions, it looked like that game last week against Minnesota was kind of going their way, and then the Hail Mary happened, and the whole game just unraveled from there from there for them. It did, yeah. Um, and I think, honestly, they're just going to come up against – you know, a better team in Green Bay whose young defense is actually playing reasonably well. They're going to be a fascinating team for next year because there's a lot of really young, talented players on that defense. But we've kind of seen that before when they had, you know, rookie Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins, oh, right. and those guys yeah. both played really well as rookies in limited sample size. And it's going to be a case of seeing how they progressed, and right. both of them just like fell off a cliff. And they went the wrong way. Right. Now, they've got the kind of same thing with you know, Jair Alexander and some of these other guys. They played really well, but you know, we've seen that before. Fool me once, etc. So That whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in uh, Matthew Stafford having the lowest average depth of completion in the NFL this year. Lowest Another guy you just let him. Average depth of completion. Yeah like four yards per completion okay just like unleash him man unleash stafford you, get, you, mean, you, you kind of need to with a quarterback like him right you have to uh, there's so. no point in playing him conservative because it's not what he does so. well the output is, has been it's the worst statistical output in his you know probably since his rookie season this year um by the way his rookie season when i look through the sort of you know the, the best rookie season right of pff career his rookie it's unbelievable how badly bad he graded as a rookie yeah 
No, when I so when I talk to George and Eric about running our numbers and looking at rookie progression and all that stuff, Stafford's one of the examples I used because his grading was actually comparable to nobody's really comparable to 2011 Blaine Gabbert, but Stafford's close. Bortles had a terrible rookie season. Derek Carr had a terrible, terrible rookie season. And the thing I always wanted to figure out is, were there at least, was there something in the data that yeah, said Stafford can pull out of this? Back. Gabbert's screwed, right. right? So if you listen to this run of quarterbacks, essentially the worst graded quarterbacks we've ever seen at PFF, John Beck with the Dolphins in 07, Max Hall with the Cardinals in 2010, Blaine Gabbert, 2011 Jags, Ryan Lindley, 2012 Cardinals, yeah, makes sense. Troy Smith, 07 Ravens, Jared Goff. Short sample sizes here? A little bit. I, I, yes. Keep going. Jared Goff, 2016 Rams, and then Matthew Stafford with the 2009 Lions, which is worse than Blake Bortles. Wow. Like, that is yeah, a spectacular. He had a PFF grade of 45. Yes. And then the next year, only had uh, 102 dropbacks, showed pretty well in that before battling injury. And then 2011, he had the massive breakout year thrown for over 5,000 yards. So, just notable quarterbacks whose grade that is significantly worse than Kaiser, uh, Christian Ponder, uh, Brandon Whedon, Vince Young, Paxton Lynch, Mark Sanchez, Bruce Gradkowski, Blake Bortles. Like, there's some pretty terrible quarterbacks that had a better grade than Matthew Stafford's rookie year. We've we've seen great improvement. So, another interesting offseason discussion, I think, with the Lions and what the future looks like building around Stafford. They always love a good rational discussion about Matthew Stafford. Carolina Panthers at the New Orleans Saints. We've got uh, Kyle Allen getting the start for the yes. Carolina Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater for the Saints. I'm taking the Saints because they have a better roster and a better quarterback. Teddy, I'm kind of look. This is I'm interested in seeing Teddy. Right, there. this is good for. Teddy. Yeah, um, you're a Teddy fan in general, right? I yeah, I this, think well. It's hard not to root for a guy whose leg basically imploded randomly on a drop back. Yeah, I agree. Uh, And then came back, got himself on the field, and, you know, looks viable still. I mean, he's been on the field a little bit and has looked okay. This was uh, like that. I also think, generally, he was unfairly... Uh, the way his career panned out in Minnesota was unfair to him in terms of the perception. Like, he was seen as this dink-and-dunk-only quarterback. I think a huge amount of that was... Charles Johnson as his number one wide receiver. Oh, like, yeah. That's going to be a problem for anybody. In a, in a vertical passing attack. Yeah, and a North Turner offense. And this is the pre-evolved North Turner right. offense. This right. was the climbing out of the primordial soup <laughs> offense that hadn't yet developed legs and was still, like, dragging itself along the ground with its flippers. Like, there's two wide receivers out in passing patterns, one of whom was Charles Johnson, there was seven step drops behind a terrible offensive. Like it was the worst possible offense to situate a quarterback in, and it basically manufactured checkdowns. Right? It's like drop back, seven step drop, look up. Neither of the two guys are open. Uh, check it down. That was he, basically what happened. He's also a bit more conservative by nature, but I think that just right. Made but it, it was like it was an offense that basically manufactured this hyper conservative production from him. And this idea that that's who he is, I think, is probably unfair to him. We haven't really seen what he can do behind an actual functioning offense. And I think, I think this is, if he has a big game, it'll help. I think regardless, though, this offseason, people are going to stack up Teddy Bridgewater, what they saw from him in the preseason, what they see from him in Week 17. They're going to stack him up against this draft class that now no longer has Justin Herbert. Right. It has Dwayne Haskins, and it has 
Daniel Jones getting first round hype and Drew Locke getting first round hype and Will Greer, who maybe it may be a fringe first rounder, but basically a whole lot of question marks in the first round mix. And I think there might be a bidding war for Teddy Bridgewater, regardless of what happens this week. But I expect a good game from him. And there aren't that many teams that desperately need quarterbacks with the ones that do need them now. Like they can't, you know, oh, they right. can't wait for a quarterback that may develop in a couple of years who they have to take in the first round. Like Denver, right? Denver need a quarterback ASAP. John, you know, John Elway <laughs> swung and missed a few times now and kind of needs something to go right. If he can't tempt somebody into another Peyton Manning year for him, he needs something. Well, then Jacksonville, right? He needs like defense. Jacksonville again, saying they've got a window that could potentially be closing. They need someone in there now. The, the Patriots could need a replacement for Tom Brady ASAP. Again, they might need to go for a guy they know is a certain level right away. The, the teams that might actually be interested in quarterbacks probably need a Teddy Bridgewater more than they need a Drew Locke. No, I agree on that, though. Definitely agree on that, even with the uh, price tag. All right, flying through the rest. Oakland Raiders at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs win, and they get the number one seed. I'm expecting that to happen. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we... So... There's no reason the Raiders should beat the Chiefs, but then there was no real reason they should run them close the last time, and yet they did. Again, that's why this, this division thing. Division, makes yeah. Playing in Kansas City is going to be the a rough The biggest one thing Oakland, to but. watch, not, well, the, you need to watch this and the Chicago Bears game, right? Because there is a chance that the season finishes in a situation where the Oakland Raiders as a team has the, the distance that they are below the second worst team in terms of total pressures is the exact same as the number of total pressures that Khalil Mack has on his own. That's amazing. Which would be just artistry if that actually came true. So Khalil Mack needs to have a pretty big game against the Bears. I think he's five or six. Uh, the difference between the two is like five or six at the moment. So if he had a big game, the Raiders didn't really get any pressure. The fact that it's even in the ballpark right, right now, given the fact that Mack did have a lull midseason where he didn't do much. Yes. Oh, he yeah. got injured, right? Yeah. So that would be amazing That's if what that I mean. happens. That's something to watch. So hopefully Mitchell Schwartz and the Chiefs offensive line can keep, keep a clean sheet and really let Khalil Mack hone in on that bridging the gap. We've talked about how difficult Mitchell and right tackles in the AFC West have it through the years. But once Khalil Mack left, you got the... Uh, Two gimmies now That's against the help, yeah. this year. Uh, Bengals at the Steelers. I got my Holtman Donuts. Holtman's Donuts. Ah, Cincinnati. Hometown Cincinnati. Hometown Cincinnati Bengals at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jeff Driscoll still starting at quarterback for the Bengals. I don't give them much of a shot at Pittsburgh. No. Pittsburgh still has a chance at the playoffs. They need the Ravens to lose and they need to win. The other way they get in? Tie. A tie? Colts-Titans tie. Colts-Titans tie. Yeah. I'm almost positive on that. My wife told me that. I'm taking her word for it. (laughs) I am taking her word. Kelly, do not let me down. That's, yeah, that's pretty sure that's real. I didn't read every last scenario, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Okay. Uh, So we're taking, we're all taking Pittsburgh across the board. Good. Yeah. I mean, the Steelers are probably going to be in this unfortunate situation of actually just missing out in the playoffs because they came off on the the wrong end of a couple of really tough losses and they have very good, good teams and they would have as good of you know if they were the number six seed they would have as good of a chance as anybody they really would to run the table like this is a good team that can hang with any side in the afc and they may end up missing the postseason just because they couldn't get it done against you know new orleans at oakland and, like yeah some pretty good teams yep and oakland and yeah. oakland uh, Philadelphia Eagles at the Washington Redskins. Uh, Josh Johnson was playing. You know, they were protecting him as well as they could. Um, then a bad interception kind of turned the tables in comeback time against the Titans last week. Um, the Eagles continue to roll here behind Nick Foles? They, they do. The, the Eagles thing, 
like they're going to end up potentially squeaking into the postseason. The, a, a return Super Bowl run is not out of the question for the Whoa. Philadelphia Eagles. Whoa. They are ranked, I think, seventh in PFF's power rankings right now. They get to the postseason with a win here against the listless Washington Redskins and the Vikings losing to the Bears, which is eminently possible. Um, and at that point, let's assume that Foles doesn't stink in this game in order for them to win it, which is probably, you know, if that happens, he's probably not terrible. Foles would have, if, if, if Foles has a decent game here, He's already put together a few decent games. You're talking a Super Bowl runs like seven or eight straight weeks right. of good Nick Foles. That's tough to do. The two-game stretch is crazy, but... But at that point, they would be in the postseason. Their defense would still be cooking. The defensive front has been good all season long. They lead the league in total pressures by a mile. They lead the league in win rate, pressure percentage, all that kind of stuff. They're still the best pass-rushing unit in the game, right? Um, and their, their secondary has gotten better. Avante Maddox in particular was a DB that I kind of liked coming out of the draft. He's actually been playing really well. Yep. Um, they've Their secondary's gotten a little bit healthier, and the, the guys that were forced in at sort of emergency duty have been playing better. Like, those people haven't stayed at the standard of disaster that they went in at. They've actually developed with the playing time. Right. So suddenly, this is actually a viable team that still has weapons on offense. Nick Foles is a little bit more of that YOLO-type quarterback that will just give... Alshon Jeffrey a chance to go up and catch a ball and like the Ryan Fitzpatrick deal sometimes that works out well um, sometimes it falls off a cliff and it's a disaster Fitzpatrick but, and Foles comparison that's not bad either but you can kind of keep that kind of thing going with those types of receivers so I just if Philadelphia gets to the playoffs they're a pretty dangerous side oh, I agree uh, honestly I just I think all 12 playoff teams it's going to be you could see all 12 playoff teams we said kind of said this last year Go on a run. No, it ended up being the two, the two number one seeds, right? But it, you know, it's how, like how absurd would it be if the Eagles repeat? Nick Foles goes on another run, and then next season we start the year like so that then you're in a situation where like as, as ludicrous as the Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz conversations are now, if we have four well, more games of MVP yeah. caliber Nick Foles, they're probably not crazy in the yeah. off season. Well, no, because you're getting way ahead of yourself. At which point, then right. Then you give the starting job to Nick Foles. <laughs> he sucks next year. I just there'd be some magic in that. That would be like the you know, well, Flacco's earned this big contract after right. winning the Super Bowl type thing, yeah. right? Except oh. Nick Foles, I think, is capable of way worse play than uh, than Joe Flacco. We're previewing was. Week Seventeen. Yeah, you just created this crazy alternate reality. Tell me that's, that's not a beautiful scenario that I've just laid out in front of you. A lot of fascinating. Wentz, where does Wentz end up? Wentz goes. Oh, he's to the, still there as the backup. He's on the rookie deal. Remember. Oh, Wentz is backing up Foles yeah. in Philadelphia now? Yeah, yeah, Oh, fascinating. But then he'll come back in in midseason when Foles goes like 0-4. Oh, you've got to keep Foles. you got to keep Wentz for uh, you know, security purposes. Right. Yeah. Cool. Arizona Cardinals at the Seattle Seahawks. Any reason that the Cardinals have a shot here? None whatsoever. Um, Seahawks kind of playing for some playoff positioning. Yeah. Um, but we're expecting them to play. I, I think it's, yeah, if they lose, there's still a chance that they would have to uh, go to Chicago week one. You'd rather go to Dallas, essentially. Nah, I don't know that it makes a big difference for them. Okay. Well, I'm expecting them to just play football. Yeah. Pete Carroll, he's competitive and all that stuff, and they're going to beat the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, who are terrible. Great. Uh, the other NFC West matchup, 49ers at the Rams. Uh, we do have one pick for San Francisco. That's Neil. Wow. Because the 49ers account gives him kudos or they thank him for picking them. 
So he's just trying to grab a few extra Twitter followers here. That is exi- that's the only reason why he's making this pick. Uh, the, the Fighting Mullinses. They are the Fighting Mullinses. They've actually been playing pretty well with Nick Mullins at quarterback. They now, have. not a huge amount of that is due to Nick Mullins at quarterback. You know, he's another guy who is... Yards after the catch stuff is... Right. Ridiculous. And he's sort of... He, yeah, again, a guy who's not grading as well as box score statistics necessarily. But he's a guy who is actually capable of sitting on top of this ship, heading in the right direction, not, you know, yeah. turning it into a cliff edge the way some quarterbacks are. And there's something to be said for that, right? If you've got a coach as gifted as Kyle Shanahan at creating an offense that's, you know, schemes a lot up, same with Matt Nagy. There's something to be said for being a quarterback that's just not going to run the thing off the rails. And Mullins has been pretty good at that. Kyle Shanahan, I feel like he's lost a little bit of his luster just because they're not winning a ton of games. But if you do step back and take a look at what he's done, he developed 2016 MVP Matt Ryan season Mm -hmm. and then, you know, struggled with rookie C.J. Beathard, but made Garoppolo look really good. Also got the best stretch out of Brian Hoyer's career. He did. Bobby Hoyer. Back in those days. Back in 2014 um, with Cleveland. Right. Got the best stretch out of his career. Somebody I'm just else. saying that like in recent years, we got Nick Mullins. You've got Bethard looking much better this year. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff coming out of there. And his, in his whole career, basically working with like Matt Schaub. The right. whole Shanahan system. You know, work making Matt Schaub statistically look like one of the best quarterbacks of all time. If you guys, if you go look at career stats and rating and all that stuff. So, you know, it's something to keep an eye on when they do get Jimmy G back or if they do build around Nick Mullins. Well, no, but we've reached that point that we said, whereas they may have found themselves a better backup. Oh, I right? agree. I mean, he's basically come out and said, I can't sit Nick Mullins down. He's, he's playing well enough to have earned this, this relief starting gig. Right. So next year, I imagine the death yard goes Jimmy G, Nick Mullins, Beathard now. So if nothing else, they've, in theory, upgraded a backup. This is the strategy we keep saying, though, too, is like you keep drafting quarterbacks right. and you, you never know when you're going to find out. And then you just have this... Green Bay Packers situation where it's Brett Favre, Mark Brunel, Matt Hasselbeck all on the same team. Yeah. I mean, if your third quarterback is anything other than a young, inexperienced player that you don't really know who he is, you're doing it wrong. Not Matt Castle? No. Not Matt Castle, not Mark Sanchez. Like, if that, if you're, if your third quarterback is an old busted veteran who you know is going to go out there and play like crap, you are failing the system. I still wish Kellen Moore got a more extended shot. Yeah. Kellen Moore had a 400-yard passing game in the NFL. I kind of like his arm is average high school, average high school arm. Kellen I kind of like what the Cowboys did, which is what I've been saying they should do for years. Where if you've got a guy who's only in the room because he's a good quarterback room guy, get him off the roster and make him a coach. Oh, cut his salary, right? Make him a coach, save a fortune, and get a yeah. roster spot back. That's what the Cowboys I did. I still, I'm a Kellen Moore believer. If you gave him a shot, he would be. I was right up until he reasonable. played, and then played badly i'm gonna go back and watch some kellen moore film just for fun you do that all right one more game to get through los angeles chargers at the denver broncos the chargers still have a chance at the number one seed if they win this game and the chiefs lose to the raiders right probably not happening probably not happening and technically the patriots have a shot at the number one seed if the chargers lose this as well wow so that's there's three possible number one seed scenarios but two of them involve the chiefs losing to the raiders (laughs) Two of them aren't happening okay most likely um, so the Chargers lost to the Broncos the last time around, and now they've got to travel to Denver. Denver's had a very disappointing finish to the season. But again, when, you come to, when it comes to like home road splits and the way they play, they're always, always tough in Denver. They are, and they're, they are a completely different team. Um, though Phil Lindsay's banged up. Don't believe he's playing. Yeah, they're a completely different side, and yet ironically their record is probably going to be the same. Home and, home, home and away, Denver this season, despite being a completely different side. 
they're three and five on the road, and right now they're three and four at home. So if they do lose, yep, they had to, to play the, the Rams. Right. I mean, it's not it's not one hundred percent. Like I said, they lost to the Rams and Chiefs at home. Yes, it's not one hundred percent driven by the home and away thing. They are a different team at home, but ironically, the record is potentially going to be exactly the same. Right. Um, but the Chargers. This last week was disappointing, Steve. Not just because I spent ten minutes the week before talking about how they'd gone through this change in mindset. The Chargers and they yeah. go and stink against the Ravens and lose a game that they should have won. They put too much into that mindset for the Chiefs game. That's what it was. Yeah, but you can't do that. That's the point of changing the mindset. You got to oh. go through all that and you know learn how to win, Steve. That was the point I was making. Gotcha. They didn't. Well, either they learned how to win then forgot about it, or they didn't learn properly. Uh, but either way, they should be better than the Denver Broncos. Again, if you look at this Chargers team, there's too much good on it. The defense in particular has been pretty fantastic. Uh, they're another one of these top 15 ranked defenses that's good enough on a given day to show up and play well. They're secondary. Guys like um, Desmond King has been playing really yeah. well. He's an irritating guy, though, because his play-by-play grading is very hard to articulate in numbers. He's never high. Because he's in the slot, right? right. You're so a lot of have a ton. You're not going to have a ton of. You're always going to give up th- catches in the yeah. slot for the most part, especially in a zone heavy scheme like yeah, that. You're going to give up yardage. You're going to give up a high percentage of catches because the slot does. So you know you're very. It's very hard to find numbers that articulate how good Desmond King has been, and yet he has been exceptional. When you break it down on a play by play basis, the closest one you'll find is probably stops, where he's consistently very good at coming up, making those catches short of the sticks and essentially right. crapping out the offense on that drive. The uh, I was just looking through the Broncos' home schedule. Yeah, It's kind of a pretty tough home schedule that they had. They well, had yeah. Seattle at home, playoff team, beat the Raiders, of course. Um, lose to Kansas City by four. Yep. Best team in the AFC. Lose to the Rams by three. Second best team in the NFC, most likely. Um, they lose to the Texans. Number three team in the AFC by two at home. They lose to the Steelers. Borderline uh, they beat the Steelers, but they played them at home again. Borderline playoff team, um, and then the Browns two weeks ago. You know, borderline playoff team, yeah. Cleveland Browns, and now they've got the Chargers. So when you look at Denver's home schedule, their schedule as a whole, pretty right. I mean, they have played dramatically better at home than they have on the road. I, I was more mir- mocking the symmetry that may present itself rather than the notion that they are better at home. No, no I wasn't correcting you. I was just, you know, we're having a good time here. Yeah. All right, that's that's it. That's every game. Week 17. People think that we don't like each other. People watch our videos because they catch us when we kind of do this, you know, half banter, half joking, whatever. Yeah. Or maybe you, or you, you do bite. Maybe you hate me. Um, but people think we ha- hate each other. Yeah. According to some of the feedback. Have you been reading the comments? Comments. Yeah. YouTube comments. Mm-hmm. There are listeners, Sam. We got to see what they're saying. Some of them. Some of them are. Idiot. There's some really mean Bears fans that keep coming back. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's like a Cardinals video, and they're like, "Oh, you hating on Trubisky again, idiots!" Yeah, it happens. Mm, okay. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Week seventeen, it's coming in, and here we go. Week seventeen. Wow, that, the, you, you lost all interest cut in that, that. midway cut that. through it. Uh, let's get ready to rumble in week seventeen. Nice. We're definitely keeping that in. Oh God. Cut. In fact, not only are we keeping that in, if we could isolate that sound clip and put it on uh, social media, all platforms, that would be ideal. If it's going to go to social media, I'll do a better job of it, but not here on the podcast. That's it. Week 17. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll be back here Monday morning with your Week 17 preview. We'll get into all the uh, playoff matchups and all the fun stuff, everything you guys saw this weekend. Thanks to everybody for listening. 
Be sure to subscribe if you guys haven't already, and check out the YouTube channel and ProFootballFocus.com for more of this great information, guys. Talk to you Monday morning. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.